0: This is First Curious, the podcast of new poetry reviews. I'm Benjamin Landry. Taken down from the bookshelf today is I Love Information by Courtney Bush published by Milkweed Editions in August, 2023. Some cosmic disturbance occurred three-quarters of my way through reading Courtney Bush's I Love Information. News rolled through the wave pool of the Internet that music icon iconoclast Shania O'Connor had died. I felt a lurch in my guts beyond recognition, more like the theater-halting mechanism of déjà vu. Maybe it is because Courtney Bush so earnestly embraces, on a sentence-by-sentence level, the imperative of breaking and starting anew, plainly evident in O'Connor's discography and public self-presentation, or that Bush is drawn to the mysterious origins and intentions of music, verses wafting up from Orpheus's cave. And then there are these lines, from the collection's final title poem. The implication that nonfiction is supposed to be useful stems from the implication that information is supposed to be. A painting is better proof. A song is the best proof, but you can't be sure they exist unless one is happening. You hand things to each other, go to work, sell copiers. The value of song, discreetly bounded by the singing or the hearing of it, is inversely proportional to its permanence. Its value is that it makes us feel alive in the way that capitalism, handing things to one another, selling copiers, does not. Then there is the improbability of the full-throated joy which singing enacts in the face of our doom-courting moment. As I understand it, Bush writes, it making no sense to sing is what singing is all about. This is the kind of honest, searching, intelligent, and unsettling work that gives Bush joy coursing through this collection. The spirit of I Love Information is more punk than pop. Bush is not new or alone in this. Her long lined lyric work, with sharp pivots and reconsiderations, pulls from the tradition of Ashbery, whom she name checks in one poem, and the restless meanderings of Whitman, although Bush seems to chafe at this inevitable comparison in another poem. There are also more contemporary practitioners—Darcy Denigan and Katie Rose Mergy, for instance—who have similarly embraced the poetry of overflow. One copy reviewer, Brian Cheer, describes the collection as a paradise of non-sequiturs. But I rather think of Bush's poetry as an extended attempt to discern the logic in our essentially illogical existence—our lives, proceeding by fits and starts, abrupt endings, arbitrary advancements. Bush is not trying to put us off the scent of anything. Neither is she confused. I think it helps here to recall that Ashbery described his process as each line being a sort of discrete awakening, as from amnesia. How playful and terrifying. The disjunctions in Bush are not as radical as that. In the poem whose title reads as a stage direction, when you get to Sparta voice, The speaker turns a drunk trip with a friend to an L.A. fast-food chain into a mock heroic, with reference to the story of Helen of Sparta, whose famous affair made her Helen of Troy. But as silly as the comparison promises to become, the whole journey is haunted. The metallic parts of mind drawn to an image of the spill, one that goes wine and wine and more wine. A friend is gone and I wanted to be all blade, too scary to use. And later. We walked home from Del Taco, saying, You snap, then I'll snap. She pulled her tampon out behind the dumpster while the Scientology cross burned. The strongest member of our party had gone overboard. Of course, not everything is about that. As it turns out, though, the world of this poem is about the recurring loss of the friend. It's the unsettling subtext behind the meanderings, shifts in topic, and time period, from the present to the mythological, and back. Watch how the knees give out on one improbably long three-line sentence. Where the intuitive paths people took before us rubbed the grass away from the dirt at the top corner of the park, what's wrong with you? This idea, which interrupts itself with a new construction known as anacoluthon dramatizes the distracted and fundamentally distraught speaker of the poem. We are forgetful in our grief, even in the midst of engaging in what might otherwise be pleasurable. In one of several later poems, addressed to or concerning Caitlin, who might very well be the lost friend, Bush writes, Grief does not make us weaker, but it might not make us strong, like they said. While the poems in I Love Information are not the type one memorizes and recites. They are the type one feels deeply, and holds more like a good ache in the chest. One standout is the poem Late Preamble, one of the shortest of the collection, which meditates on the intrusions of capitalism and violence on even our most disarming moments of play. The piece begins with two couplets before wandering into prose poem. My thing that year was believing in things. Bush writes. There would be a lost pilot, an internal logic in each event. It was easy with the children. We found money for Elsa from Frozen. Plastic chess pieces gathered in arrangements on the floor. Ten of the kids piled scarves over the bodies of the two smallest as they lay on the floor playing dead. A pink, then a red scarf fell. They told me as I approached, before I even asked. These are our bodies, and we said it was okay. The Lost Pilot is a frequently occurring avatar in I Love Information, a character who is in control of their own destiny, but misplaced through objective forces. There is scant logic to school shootings beyond what is available to forensic psychology. The lucre for which we labor might as well be the plastic junk prized in the world of Disney merch. One would like to think that discerning a logic behind these events would make us secure, but security in this context only means that we continue to fly our plane over unrecognizable vasts. That year turned into many years, the poem concludes, meaning that one's ability to understand these unwanted forces has not yet allowed us to dispel them. I Love Information is a recognizable contemporary lyric voluble and unpreoccupied with formal constraint. Even an extended installment of proclaimed sonnets entitled Seraphim or Nothing considers the sonnet's fourteen-line requirement, its volta, its echoes, little more than suggestions. This might bother some purists, but I find it charming, in keeping with the project's modus operandi, which Bush might have summed up in her Cassandra poem, wherein she describes the poetic impulse as the right to fragment. Amen." Elsewhere, Bush describes her ultimate aim as being to write the poem that can think. The creepy connection to AI, the depersonalized product which, trained on the raw materials of creativity, replicates that creativity indefinitely, seems to be the illusion. Such a poem would mirror back the originator, and confer a synthetic immortality with all of the soul of a dead actor reprising a role via CGI. Perhaps only Bush knows exactly what she intends, but I suspect her of being tongue-in-cheek here, in a way that nicely counterbalances the sincerity elsewhere in I Love Information. Why do we need this poetry now? Bush's madcap assemblages of cultural reference and personal experience convey an impish energy. She references Christopher Smart, elizabeth holmes the blood girl hilma of clint Turandot, the olsen twins and i suspect the delightful vampire comedy television series what we do in the shadows bush is a poet for the born digital age and her audience will nod along with a line like i feel like the revelation is going to text me in seeking out the lost pilot bush engages in a serious and extended search for control all while allowing us to feel the breeze-in-our-hair thrill of meaning divulged at high speed, just on this side of rational. I of Information is gutsy, manic lyric, and the speaker considers their own predicament while admitting to their limits and vulnerabilities. This would be a good lesson for other contemporary lyric maximalists who fall into the trap of navel-gazing self-aggrandizement. When I am worried I am a shit artist, the speaker confides, I tell myself language is the instrument, not the voice. I try to meet it, and if that's enough I deserve to live, even if I can't get the thing to come out of the underworld. Yes, the illusion is to Orpheus, the original lyricist, but the song is one of mortal attempt rather than effortless virtuosity. Bush aims her arrow high, and we follow its trajectory as far as our eyes will permit urging it on that's it for this episode of first curious much gratitude to Deborah sedel for our theme music with production assistance from ryan miller if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe share and consider donating via the button on the verse curious red circle home page with my thanks in advance see you next time